It was the evening of August the 29th, 1776, following the battle for Long Island in New York. The beleaguered Continental Army stood on the banks. They were trapped by the British Army in front of them. They were trapped by the East River behind them. And by morning, when the British attacked, 9,000 Continental soldiers would either be captured or be dead, and the American Revolution would come to a swift and sad conclusion. General Washington wondered if there was anything he could do, and then he came up with this plan that through the hours of night, perhaps, they could ferry the men across this mile-wide river from Long Island back to the mainland, and, and the army could escape, and so he commissioned uh, Colonel Glover and his Marblehead, Massachusetts regiment made up of mostly fishermen to begin the process. And so about 8 o'clock in the evening, they started ferrying troops from Long Island back to the, to the mainland. And because of the rain and the strong winds that, by the way, prevented the British warships from coming up the East River, it also hampered their response and it became apparent very quickly they weren't going to be able to get the job done in the night. Around midnight, the skies cleared, the stars came out, and they were able to pick up the pace a little bit, but they realized that they were going to need about three hours in daylight, and that would be too long, too late in the action to save anybody. And so when dawn broke and the sun began to rise, the strangest thing happened. President Wa or General Washington had prayed, the soldiers had prayed, and there was this dense, heavy fog that settled over the land and over the water, so thick, they said, that you couldn't see six yards in front of you. And the British troops stayed where they were because they could not see and the boats kept moving back and forth. And even though the sun came up that would normally burn off such a fog, the fog stayed on for three hours. General Washington had remained on his horse on Long Island with the stranded troops. He was the last one to get into the boat. And when those four boats made it into the water and started across, the fog began to lift. And when General Howe and the British troops came over the hill, it was empty. And those last four boats were close enough to the opposite shore. They could not intercept them. Our liberty as a nation, indeed the salvation of those lost and stranded troops that day, rested on a providential fog. It was a game-changing moment in our history. And we are here today partially because of that fog. Our spiritual freedom, indeed the salvation of those spiritually lost and stranded by sin, rested on the coming of a baby boy. It would be a game-changing moment in history. It would be a game-changing moment in the life of the most forgotten character of Christmas as well. <laughs> Five-year-old Stephen was quoting his memory verse for the annual Christmas pageant at church. He had worked on John 3.16 with all of his heart, and he got up and he said it just perfect. He only missed one word, but that one word was a big word. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten son. Not too far from the truth by some standards today. We live in a culture that with every passing year tends to forget the man behind the holiday. Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without the Christ. Now we know we keep him central and focused to our celebration because we know it really is all about him, but in Christian circles, we often forget another principal character of the story. He shouldn't be forgotten, but he is. He's the man behind the baby, Joseph, 
who played the role of surrogate father to the very Son of God. Do you realize that in the 50 most familiar Christmas hymns or carols, from the first Noel to the Hallelujah Chorus, that the characters of Christmas appear over and over again? There's the baby Jesus, there's, there's Mary, the mother of Jesus, there's the shepherds, there's the angels, there's the visiting magi, but of the top 50 carols that we sing, only one mentions Joseph. Angels we have heard on high, and he doesn't crop up until the fourth verse. See within a manger laid, Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth. Mary, Joseph, lend your aid. With us sing the Savior's birth. That's it. Even the little drummer boy who's made up gets more press than Joseph. This overlooked character of Christmas is the man who had a much greater influence on our Lord's childhood than the visiting angels and the shepherds and the magi all put together. And though his story is brief, he models for us what it means to surrender to the will of God. And what Joseph learned about following God's lead is something we need to learn as well. So let me take you through parts of Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, who records this snippet, this vignette into the life of Joseph. Verse 18 of chapter 1 of Matthew reads like this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. No big fanfare here. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. So here's the first thing I want you to remember, and that is simply this. Follow the Lord even when he changes your plans. For most of us, Christmas is a nostalgic time. Memories are a wonderful part of our celebration. Our children are making memories. Our older folks are reflecting upon memories. But we usually always talk about, I remember the Christmas when. You ever done that? There was nothing nostalgic about the first Christmas. There was nothing for Joseph to reflect on at that point in time. There was nothing that Joseph could say, I remember the Christmas went because it was all happening for the first time in his very presence. Did Joseph have anything on which to reflect? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a lot to reflect on, but it wasn't past Christmases. Joseph could reflect on his station in life. It is not difficult to determine that he was a poor man. By the way, according to history, carpenters were just one rung above shepherds on the socioeconomic ladder, and shepherds were the lowest of the low. And so carpenters, they, they didn't have a lot. But that's not our only insight into Mary and Joseph. The Old Testament law required that when you, had a, when you gave birth to a boy, you would take him to the temple, you would offer a sacrifice there, and the law required that you would offer a lamb and a dove as a sacrifice in thanksgiving and, and in redemption for the child, the son that you gave birth to. But the law said if you're too poor to provide a lamb and a dove, you can bring two turtle doves. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Mary, when she came with Joseph, gave two turtle doves. This was a poor family. 
He could have also reflected on the staggering impact of the last few months. All was well a few months ago. Mary and Joseph were engaged. He had learned a trade, not a fancy trade by any stretch of the imagination, but a trade with which he could provide for the needs of his family. And he was looking forward to their marriage and building a life and a family together and, and growing old together with Mary. And then the reality of Mary's condition shattered all of his dreams. Mary announced she was pregnant and even worse... She had concocted some crazy story about this being God's plan. Oh, Joseph loved her dearly, but he was a man of noble character. He was a strong follower of God. He could not, he would not compromise his God's, godly standards by marrying this woman who had obviously betrayed him because God's word said something about being noble and sinless and pure, and he would stick with God's word. But he loved Mary dearly, and there was not a vengeful bone in Joseph's body. He was not going to make a big splash out of this. He was going to take care of the legal matters privately and quietly so as not to embarrass Mary or her family. You see, in, in Jewish culture of that day and time, an engagement was as binding as a wedding. And even though a wedding hadn't occurred yet, the, the, the marriage was not complete yet, the engagement required a writing of divorcement. And this is how Matthew describes Joseph's response in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I, I am sure that Joseph struggled with what to do because he was a man of deep spiritual conviction and he wanted to be faithful to God's word, but he also loved Mary at the same time. Now, that's a man I can respect. He remained spiritually and morally steadfast and yet responded with deep compassion. He would do the right thing with as much care and tenderness and grace as possible. There would be no public embarrassment for any of them, but God's word would be honored at the same time. Is it any wonder, folks, that God chose a man like Joseph to raise his son in this world? We love remembering the past, the good memories and the fun times, but do you ever stop to reflect upon your life as to who you are and what God has given you? and how you are using his gifts to serve him in this world. I love the laughter of reflecting far more than I like, well, the accountability that comes from reflecting. I think the Christmas season is a good time to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with yourself about your compassionate convictions. Have you asked yourself lately, what do I really believe? And have I lived out those principles in my life? What have I accomplished that has spiritual and eternal significance? Who have I touched with the truth in such a way that it made the truth irresistible and drew them to the Savior? Perhaps the more basic question we need to ask, answer is simply this. Am I really following him, Because you see, it's so easy to do one of two things. It's so easy to go out and be judgmental of other people because we've got all the right answers that we think. Or it's so easy to say, I'm more concerned about not hurting somebody's feelings than standing up for the truth. Neither one of which is right. It is standing on God's truth and yet with a spirit of compassion and grace at the same time. That was Joseph. What an example to us. 
Make the truth, make your convictions, make what you believe about Jesus and the season of Christmas so irresistible with your compassion and your grace that people can't help but believe. The American atheists have been putting up billboards over the last few years uh, to try and draw people's attention away from Christmas. Back in 2010, there was an interesting thing that happened um, uh, on the New Jersey side of the Lincoln Tunnel, before, before you enter the tunnel, the atheists had put up a, a billboard that said simply this, you know it's a myth, this season celebrate reason. On the opposite end of the tunnel, the New York side of the tunnel, the Catholic League rented a billboard and, and they put up this sign, it was an image of Mary and Joseph and the Christ child that said, you know it's real, this season celebrate Jesus. So you enter the tunnel one way and you, you come out and you see these signs. And you know what? one of those two billboards will really describe who you are. Your life is a billboard. Uh, what you say, how you act, how you live, how you treat other people. What, what are you communicating? What does the billboard of your life proclaim to a world out there who may not know Jesus Christ, who may be skeptical about this whole grand story that we celebrate? Will you make the truth irresistible when they meet you? Joseph was just such a man. We ought to be too. Here's the second thing. Follow the Lord even when it is costly. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and following. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, that is to Joseph, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and, they, and he gave him the name Jesus. God is not angry with Joseph for not believing Mary's story. Uh, who, who could blame him? A virgin birth? This, Mary, this is of God? Just, just tell me the truth. Help me work through it. I, I can understand his conflicted mind at this point in time. So God sends him an angel. I'm assuming it's Gabriel, since Gabriel appears as the messenger in the rest of the story. And he comes to him in a dream. Now, this was not your typical distorted, confusing, you ate too much pizza late at night kind of dream. This was a divine vision, and when Joseph woke up from this dream, he knew that God had sent him a message. And there was no question, there was no doubting at this point in time. He simply said, all right, God, if this is what you want, I will do it. I will take Mary to be my wife. But he knew it was going to be costly. Because from that day and time, the family that they had known, the friends they had known, the life that they had known and experienced, all of that was about to change because when you do something that is so culturally unaccepted, when you stick to a story that seems at first to be so unbelievable, it's going to cost you in the long run. And my admiration, my deep respect for this man grows with everything I learn about him. You see, doing what is right is not always easy, and sometimes in our decision struggles, our faith in God takes a back seat. Our conviction to do what is right goes to the bottom of the list. 
When our human perspective or peer pressure overrides and contradicts our conviction to do what is right, we have a real problem. It's always right to do what God teaches. It's always right to put God first. It's always right to follow God as your top priority. Don't, don't, don't forget that. It's always right to do it his way. I've read that Dr. Madison Surratt, one-time professor in the mathematics department at Vanderbilt University, used to, he had the reputation of introducing his first math test of the year to each of his classes with this statement. He said, quote, today I'm giving you two examinations, one in trigonometry and the other in honesty. I hope you will pass them both, but if you must fail one, fail trigonometry. There are many good people in the world who can't pass trig, but there are no good people in the world who cannot pass a test of honesty. That is a good professor who knows what really counts. When faced with spiritual and moral dilemmas in your life, be steadfast in your faith. Follow the Lord and His lead even when it is costly. I don't, and I don't think, folks, we have a clue. I don't think we begin to understand how painful an ordeal this must have been for Mary and Joseph. Many historians and theologians agree that Matthew's genealogy traces the, the, the legal line, even though Joseph wasn't his real father, uh, a surrogate father, traces the legal line from uh, all the way back from David down to Joseph. But Luke's genealogy, which varies from, from Matthew's, actually traces the bloodline of Jesus through Mary, all right? And so it traces from David on down through. The point is that Jesus was a legal and a blood descendant of King David, which fulfills the prophecy of the Old Testament. But that also means that when, when Caesar Augustus decreed that everybody should return to their own town in order to be registered, that it had to include the families of both Mary and Joseph. Where, where is the record of their families being with them? They, they, they went and, and, and they gave birth and laid him in a manger because there was no room anywhere for them to go elsewhere. Where was the family? What, what was, wasn't there somebody from the family there? I mean, okay, you're embarrassed. You, you, you're frustrated because an angel didn't visit the rest of the family. I get it. But your, your children, your children, we don't, there's no hint in the story that any family member was there. And they had to be in Bethlehem. It was a costly thing to follow. Obedience is pricey. God's direction in our lives may not always make sense to us, but don't compromise your character. Your character, your character, your integrity is the best gift you have to give back to God. Here's the last thing. Follow the Lord even when you can't see what is beyond. Now, Joseph was undoubtedly poor in material goods, but he was rich in the ways that count. His selfless nature shines clearly. Have you ever thought about the fact that in the story, no other person in the Christmas story is more selfless than Joseph? Mary was selfless as well, but, but Joseph, I mean, he was a selfless man. This child, the Son of God, changed all of his plans. 
He had to postpone the completion of their marriage time until after the baby's birth. He had endured the shame of a baby conceived out of wedlock that was not his own. He spent two years in Bethlehem after the Lord's birth, reestablishing his carpentry business, which hadn't been in his plans. And then the unthinkable happens. Matthew records it in chapter 2, verse 13. And this is what we read. It says, when they, and the they speaks of the Magi. When the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. This good man, Joseph, who'd probably never ever been out of his own home country, is suddenly about to move to a, a country that did not believe to save his adopted son from being killed by a wicked king. It was a working vacation that lasted about two years. Imagine, you, you'd just gotten established in Bethlehem. And now you're off to Egypt. What Egyptian is going to hire a vagrant Hebrew? They still had memories too. By the way, tradition tells us that they settled in the city of On, where an Old Testament Joseph reigned as the second in all of command of Egypt. I don't know if that's true, but it's a great tradition. And it would be just like God to bring all those pieces of the story together. And afterwards, he was planning on going back to Bethlehem because who wanted to go back to his hometown? After all, that's where they all knew about the sordid story. They'd been away from there now about four years because they were in Egypt about two years. They were in Bethlehem about two years. And an angel again comes to him in a dream and says, no, 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 I want you to go back to Nazareth and establish your business there. And so, bless his heart, Joseph has to take the family back to Nazareth and the rumor mills begin to start to fly all over again. Not once do we ever read in the story that Joseph said, God, I've had it up to here. No more of your plans. I've done it your way, and it just keeps messing up my life. It's my plans from here on out. Nope. Joseph said, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I will be who you want me to be. Is it any wonder that God picked him, such a selfless man? I, I'm going to ask you to do something selfless here in the next few weeks. Now, we've done this in the past, and we've done it during the Christmas season. I've gotten some comments through the years. It's really hard during the Christmas season because there's so much going on that I, I can't hardly find time to do this. And so I'm going to ask you to do this as your first act of selfless service of the new year. You want to do it between Christmas and New Year's? That's great. You want to do it the first week of the new year? That's great. But this, this is going to set the tone for 2015. This is going to become a year when you will selflessly give yourself to serve others. Alan will be at the kiosk uh, in the foyer after the service is over, and, and there we have cards of all of our shut-ins, our widows, and our widowers, who I'm asking you to take one of those cards and do something nice for a member of this family that you may not know, whether it's write them a letter, send them a card, make a phone call, take them some baked goods, take them out to eat, do something nice for someone who's a part of this family this season. The beginning of the year. Don't make a New Year's resolution. Make a New Year's service project and set the tone. And remember that as Joseph selflessly gave, so we too follow that kind of glorious example.
I believe that he was rich in love and cared deeply for the child that God had entrusted to his care. Don't you know that God would have chosen a loving man as an example for his son? And that's really what Christmas is about. It is about God's love for us. And Christmas is really only the first, first chapter in that love story. This quote from a child sums it up pretty good. Love is what is in the room with you at Christmas when you stop opening presents and listen. When Joseph contemplated the birth of Jesus, it wasn't with nostalgic reflection. It was with looking ahead to what would be. This child was the Savior, the promised Messiah, God in the flesh. Someday Joseph would be safe in the arms of the one who now slumbered safe in his arms next to a dusty manger. He would raise Jesus as a son, but he knew from that very first visit of the angels that this was no ordinary boy, that he was the Son of God, the light of of the world and that someday Jesus would raise him to eternal life. History records this interesting footnote near the end of the Civil War. As a matter of fact, folks, it was 150 years ago in the winter of 1864. The Confederate troops and the Northern troops were in battle at Petersburg, Virginia. And on a dark night, the Southern troops lit bonfires all up and down the line. It was a strange thing to do. But one of their generals, General George Pickett, had just received word that his wife had given birth to a son. And so they lit bonfires in, or, in honor of that. And then when Grant found out about it, Grant and Pickett had both been classmates together at West Point. And in honor of the occasion, General Grant said, let's light bonfires up and down the Union lines. And so they did. On both sides, there were bonfires that burned brightly through the night. No shots were fired, no yelling back and forth, no war fought on that night. Only light, brilliant light, celebrating the birth of a son. The good news of Christmas is that it's in the midst of great darkness that the light of the world himself came. It was not just a temporary flicker, not just a momentary flame. It was an eternal light, the light of the world Sometimes life can feel pretty dark, but the Christmas story and the life of this forgotten character, Joseph, affirms that whatever happens, whatever happens, the light still shines and always will. If you'd ask Joseph today, he'd say, he's worth following every step of the way. Walk in the light.